Listener supported. WNYC Studios. The Jazz Loft Radio Series is funded in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. In this episode of the Jazz Loft Radio Series, more extended listening to some of the tapes recorded by W. Eugene Smith at his 6th Avenue Loft. Sometimes you could almost hear the old wood floors of 821 6th Avenue shake, especially when there was a group jamming and a party crowd buzzing, as there was on New Year's Eve, 1959. taped and photographed just about everything that went on in the law. His tape recorders were running at parties and jam sessions and at quieter moments. Hundreds of musicians passed through the place, Charlie Parker among them, they say. Bird had died just two years before the tape started rolling, but his complicated legacy still hovered over the jazz world in that period. And the loft was no exception. The way I feel about Bird is the way I feel about Hitler. I mean, I think he was a great speaker, but I don't look up to admire him the way he, I think, he misused his skills. Oh, you think Bird misused his skills? Yeah. So I think he used his skills for destructive purposes. Well, um, even though he was the most skilled player I ever heard. Yeah, oh, you finally admit that. Okay. <laughs> okay, I mean, for destructive purposes, like what? Like taking dope from, from people to other people? No, in this like, corner, musician Eddie Listengard. In the other, loft resident Jimmy so, Stevenson. Uh, everything about him was destructive. <laughs> oh, yeah, he like yeah, but then I, that's not in everyone because Bird did a lot of good things man, that you never hear about. You see, page some cats way all the way through college. The phenomenal Listengard, the one speaking up for Charlie Parker, is one of those jazz loft legends. Everybody at the loft agreed he was a genius, a multi instrumentalist, supremely gifted. But Listengard suffered from severe schizophrenia. His gifts went unrecognized because his career never materialized. These loft tapes are rare documents of his talent. This is Listengard on sex. In true jazz loft fashion, rising stars and obscure geniuses found themselves playing together. The pianist playing with Eddie Listengart on these jams is none other than Chick Corea, visiting the loft early in a career that's still soaring. 
Loft resident and bass player Jimmy Stevenson had a piano in his apartment in the building, and it was there that Korea turned up a couple of times in the early 60s. On another occasion, Chick Corea played there with Jimmy Stevenson and Joe Farrell, who continued as a Corea collaborator. Bass player Stevenson, incidentally, is a bit of a jazz loft legend himself. Stevenson lived with his wife Sandy in the loft for a period starting in 1961 and then dropped out of sight in the 1970s, never to be heard from again, until the jazz loft tapes were discovered in the W. Eugene Smith archives in the late 1990s. Through research and word of mouth, Stevenson was finally located in 2003, selling wind chimes at a roadside stand in Northern California. Chick Corea didn't come very often to 821-6, but when he did come, he settled in for some long jam sessions. For players used to the limitations of recording sessions and commercial club dates, it was an incredible luxury just to be able to go on at this kind of uninterrupted, unmitigated length. That was one of the attractions of the place. Twenty-seven minutes into it, Korea and the other players are still going strong.
so, time could stand still at the law. As for this long jam session on one tune, we don't even really know how long it did go on. Gene Smith's tape recorder turned off before the session ended, a little ways into a bass solo. Back to holiday time, 1959. Some of the loft regulars are having a blast. It's Christmas Eve, and once again, the old floors are shaking. Zoot Sims, Hall Overton, Ron Free, they're all there. But one band member, piano player Mose Allison, has to leave the Jazz Loft family to go back to his own family. Oh, come on, one more. Oh, on, yeah, you you promised one more. Oh, no. Take your coat off, man. This was not an infrequent oh, conflict for some of the players. Oh, come on, man. Mose explains he's got four kids at home. His wife's been with them all day. And he heads for the door to go home to celebrate with them. I'm going to imagine you here. I got a great imagination. His friends manage to play without him. Another piano player comes to the rescue. But the pull to hang all night at the jazz loft was powerful. Definitely not. Certainly not for W. Eugene Smith, who over the years had acquired cameras and tape recorders and about 600 intimate friends who found that building irresistible. Can you just stop and think how much stuff I've lost with people that are supposedly reputable that I've crushed? Who got keys to the loft was an issue. Smith and his assistant Carol Thomas and Jimmy Stevenson had it out on one occasion, tape recorders still rolling. Well, gee, you've, you've got to start, you've got to trust somebody. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't have to take those chances. Well, that's what he did. He did trust them because he had to trust someone. You've got to trust people. You can't, you just can't. But look what happened. Yeah, look what happened. Well, then, what are you going to do? Then, then, if, if you're going to constantly be worried about, about stealing, then you can never leave the place. Would you have trusted Charlie Parker with your keys? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I wouldn't trust Charlie Parker as far as I could spit. I mean, when I very when I very first moved in here, before all of it, when it was like nothing but a dope fiend, uh, pack of rats up here, all kinds of weird people were up here when I first came up here. 
I mean, it was just like, oh. it was open ha havoc. I mean, it was ridiculous. You, you had happy. thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment before there was even a door downstairs to, to, to lock at night. I know, but stuff that was taken from inside by this. Well, that's an inside from some inside people. I mean, I mean, I mean, All right, but that, that's exactly why I don't want keys uh, so loosely play out to my place. So that was part of it, too. How could it not be? This was, after all, New York where opening your doors was always a risk. On this scale, it was beyond risky to inevitable that things would happen. Still, the place thrived and enriched people, and then it didn't anymore. This is the Jazzloft radio series, and in the next and final episode, times change, and the loft years gradually end. During the latter days that I was in New York, I didn't hang out there, I didn't... I don't know, just didn't kind of fade it away. That's coming up in episode 10. Thanks to Sam Stevenson and to the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke. For WNYC's Jazz Loft radio series, I'm Sarah Fishko. This series was funded in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts.